Today is July 8th, Season 3, Episode 21. Decky Morning Guy, how are we? Dude, Andy Adspen, we're having a blast today. <clears throat> Phenomenal guest uh, with Jonas Stillman. Him and his dad wrote a book called Gen Z at Work after a 50-page research paper Jonah had when he was a sophomore in, in high school. This kid, like, by the time he steps in and you listen to this guy for two minutes, you automatically re- realize he's like eight times more successful than us. So you guys are going to love it. It's a phenomenal conversation. This guy's 20. Um, and he's a high-energy guy, high-motor guy. Comes in with, I mean, I think he wanted to talk more than we did, which was awesome because... Those are always the best podcasts. Those are always the best podcasts. He was crushing content, so thank you so much, Jonah. Yeah, you guys are going to enjoy this one. Let's get after it. Hey, Deck. I got to be real with you. You got some of the worst apparel in the game out there. I would love to see you customize some shirts that just say, I have bad style. Mmm, Decky bad style. Let's make those shirts. The shock value would be insane. However, uh, turnaround time and quality, it needs to be there. That's a great point. I mean, we could launch this tomorrow with our own goddamn sponsor. Oh, I didn't even think of that. What? Well, actually, I did because I f- wrote this ad, dude. But that's besides the point. And with that being said, be on the lookout for some decky bad style shirts and other custom apparel from the BP. But also, if you're like, man, I need to find someone to make great custom apparel for me, look no further. Hit us up at backpocket at visionarymfg.com. That's B-A-C-K-P-O-C-K-E-T at visionarymfg.com. that sweatshirt where'd you get that um i have no idea i, I have so many random one-off sweatshirts yeah. today so don't we all. maybe maybe no problemo though yeah it's kind of my mood it's kind of nice thank you it's a nice color i wear a lot dude. of pink yeah oh cool guys wear pink tough guys man tough, tough guys wear tough pink. guys yeah i just started wearing pink with opinion with nolan he had uh yeah, the, is the it striped a striped one? one yeah okay i feel bad apparently he texted me i heard from one of my other friends to give me a free shirt and i didn't see it so now i gotta text him back yeah want, i want one of those striped ones those are cool he'll get you one for yeah. sure yeah we love nolan i like the cherry on the spoon ones those ones are super cool yeah, oh the sweatshirts yeah, those are nice those I are got we, we got a couple of those too i should have got one of i those. will say though that spoon is like totally overrated in like the actual one the actual spoon yeah. over most I mean, like, overrated statue ever yeah right? it's like when you live here it's kind of like the mall of america you never go there yeah, it's like people think out of it's super cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a great point. No, I'm with that. I agree. But Jonah, welcome to the Back Pocket Podcast. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. Yourself? Doing well. I'm stoked to have you here. Pleasure to be here. It's going to be an absolute blast. So, God, man, doing a little bit of research. We reached out to you, I think, what, three weeks ago. You know what? We actually, so we do challenges on the show, as you've seen the questions. Nolan was uh, the guy who was like, you guys got to get Jonah on. Right. Well, shout out Nolan. Yeah, so shout out Nolan, <laughs> the guy who, who started it all. But hey, let's start with a little background, like where where you got into this whole Gen Z thing. I know you got your book here, Gen Z at Work, a book that you started with your dad. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear the story of kind of how that all started back in high school, man. Yeah, so um, my name is Jonah Stillman. I was, I'm born and raised in Minnesota. I went to Minnetonka High School. I just freshly 20 years old, so I graduated like three years ago now. In my sophomore year of high school, I... Um, was pretty much in the easiest way to understand it was challenged to like study any topic in school. And my dad has had a past in his career in studying generational differences. He had looked at baby boomers versus traditionalists versus Gen Xers and how you kind of compensate those different employees in the workplace. And I was 
always familiar with the topic he had done speaking. So I would, when I was younger, I'd get to see him speak every once in a while. And then when I looked up what generation am I a part of, which people assumed we were millennials, but we're actually Gen Z, the generation after there was such little information that I saw that as an opportunity. So I went to my dad, my end of my sophomore year of high school and said, why don't we take a stab at researching them, studying them and maybe speaking about it. My first speech actually was at St. Thomas university. Um, no way. Yeah. So yeah. I do you remember was, where you were inside was, St. Thomas. It was in like the, the the super cool, nice building with like that big staircase. For and, sure. Yeah, yeah, and it was in up there. on the third floor. It was up there. It was it was a lot of it was a lot of staff and like recruiting faculty members and et cetera. And, and I just remember being so nervous. I'd never like spoken to anyone. I it was like a forty five minute speech. I had, are you seventeen, eighteen at this time? I was probably seventeen. Seventeen. Holy I, shit. Sophomore year, sixteen or seventeen. No, okay. actually, I was probably sixteen. I was sixteen because I got my I turned yeah because I have a summer birthday. You were coming fresh out of the DMV. Yeah. Oh yeah, freshly licensed. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you drove over there. Yeah. For the first oh, time. big deal. And then parallel parks probably. I was super nervous, and then I just but I got through it. Obviously, really choppy, but I loved the feeling of being in front of there. I liked the reaction of people, you know, nodding their heads, learning new information. So that. Long story short, over the course of the next 12 months, grew to bigger speaking opportunities more frequently, and then we actually landed a book deal with HarperCollins, Gen Z at Work, and it was published then, flash forward to my spring break of my senior year, so it was written pretty much throughout my entire junior year. It took about, from the day we signed the contract through, you know, writing the proofreads and then the the forwards, et cetera, and the whole book, it took about 16 months, and then it was published, and then my, it came out the week before senior spring break, and I did a or two weeks, I did a two-week book tour, and we were on pretty much every mainstream media. The book came out, it did really well, it was it became a bestseller, and then that was when I kind of realized, like, wow, this could really become something. Those following months, I ended up going on a senior spring vacation trip with all my friends, came back and decided, I was like, I'm not going to go to school right now, I gotta... I was still undecided, then I was looking at different colleges, then colleges were saying, we can work with you, we want to do entrepreneur stuff, and I decided to take a gap year and figure out what I could do with my life, and like, I think in the back of my head, I was hoping like I would be at a gain enough traction where I didn't have to go, which is where I felt comfortable enough. And then since then, it's we have a what I, our company is called Gen Z Guru. It's a full service Gen Z agency. We have you know six people working for us, and we help companies in every single industry better understand Gen Z as a whole. Mainly the Gen Z employee, how to recruit and retain them into the workforce, and then the marketplace, how do you sell product to somebody between the ages of you know born between the years nineteen ninety five and two thousand twelve. Damn. Wow. That's, Let's start with this. That's a lot. Let's start with this. Uh, you're crushing it. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Thank you. Hell of a story. Uh, we got to clear the air right away, though. Gen Z, millennial, I believe that's like 95, 96. So we define, so people will, you, if you look up Gen Z, some people say it's 97 to 2010. Some people say 94 to 2011. We define it as 1995 to 2012. I mean, but the theory behind generations, I think people oftentimes that don't, aren't really familiar with the topic get really hung up on the birth years because you're born into a generation that's the generation you're part of when in reality what makes each generation different is that you, during your formative years say between the age of 12 and 20 like certain events and conditions happen in the world which shape the way that you go about many life stages so obviously mm. a baby boomer experienced much different times in their childhood than we did so we naturally adopt a different lens at which we look at the world so for comparison millennials grew up in you know the go-go 90s the tech boom economic expansion they watch companies like Facebook, MySpace, Best Buy, these companies expand onto the internet era and become huge, huge success stories. Not that they weren't before, but they saw a lot of economic expansion, the tech boom. They had parents telling them they could be whatever they wanted to be. And you compare that to Gen Z. We were born post 9-11 in the midst of the 2009 recession. We watched our parents be stripped of nearly everything they earned. So we're very different for many reasons. And those are just a handful of them. Dang. I would also say uh, Gen Z is the first generation that grew up with 
an iPhone. Yeah, we're the first generation that's native to technology. We've never known a world without iPads, iPhones, Apple Watches, and yeah. it's done a lot. But yeah, we're not to say that people are the other generations aren't tech savvy, but it really is one of the first times. And I talk about this a lot, like when looking at the workplace, where the younger generation is truly an authority figure when it comes to operating in the modern day work world compared to any other generation. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're better employees. We're gunning for, you know, baby boomer CEOs, but you're going to have a summer intern entering your company, naturally knowing how to navigate the modern world in a more efficient and effective way than somebody that's been on the job for 40 years. They know faster tech solutions, better services. So I think it's just, we're seeing a shift between, you know, the young generation being very, very powerful and smart. That's Dang, wild. That's wild. I think what's crazy about it too, you see it in like the insurance world where you have, you know, this massive gap. We had a we actually had a sales director of Aon on our podcast, Ross okay. Heyman, and he's like 35 and he's he is the guy who's, you know, working with all these baby boomer Gen X guys um who are like on their way out of retirement and then he's meanwhile he's trying to recruit all the Gen Z guys and millennials to work for insurance. Insurance is a major need-based uh uh, industry and he's seeing like this massive gap between and there's a huge talent gap there's a huge talent gap i do a lot of work in what i call like the the non-sexy industries so like i mean i've done a lot of work with some cool companies some forward-facing brands but at the same time i do an equal amount of work with manufacturers accounting insurance agencies all these different things and they struggle to recruit new employees because you hear that you know gen zers want to go work at the the snapchats of the world the googles these tech startups these smaller companies that are focused on very innovative and future facing products and it's because we see those products on a daily basis i, I mean i yeah. interact with snapchat on a daily basis so i'm more inclined to figure out a career in that versus insurance where you see no content you have no idea what their work life's going to be like you don't know what your day-to-day assignments are going to be so i mean like i mean somebody you ask a gen zer what they think of accounting i think people sit there and f- foresee a career of excel spreadsheets and nothing else when in reality an industry like that has many much more to offer but they're just a massive unawareness with a lot of these brands like insurance accounting yeah. etc so you mentioned some of those uh non-sexy ones i know doing our research we pride ourselves on uh, with we are pride ourselves with research on the back pocket you work with the nfl i did do work with the nfl which also extended into work with the, the minnesota vikings yeah so you sent i i was reading something that said you sent like a cold email to roger goodell and he was all about it he responded <laughs> yeah it's one of it's a great story actually so when we wrote the book, we did three national studies on Gen Z in the workplace, and then we also did a global study comparing Gen Z around the world. That's and right. then, and then we had the idea to reach out to notable business leaders, CEOs, celebrities, and ask them to submit any question they they wanted to know about Gen Z, anything. And we didn't give any guidelines. So over the course of like eight months, we were reaching out to anyone and everyone. In the end, we got like I think. 85 people to respond. I think 40 to 50 of them are in the book and it ranges from Oprah Winfrey to Ariana Huffington, Mark Cuban, CEO of Nike, Coca-Cola, Taco Bell, Zappos, some amazing people. And one of the people I reached out to was Roger Goodell. And I had this long email that was pretty stock, but I obviously customized it to a different person. And I mentioned I was a huge football fan, which is true. I bleed purple skull Vikings. And I was, I said like, I'm writing this book, I'm 17 years old, and we're looking for notable business leaders to submit a question they want to know about Gen Z, and we're going to run it in a national survey. And I wrote this long email, and he nearly, like, I want to say like immediately got back to me, it was within the same day, and I remember, I remember I was sitting in math class my junior year of high school, and I got it, and it was, I, I, f- I found his email through like some crazy long research, I found it, it was this weird combination, it's not like Roger Goodell at NFL.com. It was a bunch of different numbers, et cetera. So I, he finally got back to me. That's so Roger Goodell, by the way, uh, to just not he, be Roger at NFL.com. I mean, he can't find <laughs> he, he doesn't. He's going to get a ton of spam. But it came directly from him because I know because 
in follow-up emails, I'd, I would reach out to him and it'd be come from his assistant. But this was directly from him. And he said, hey, would love to partake. Let me know the next time you're in New York City and we can discuss this further. And no lie, I immediately walked out of class, called my dad, told him. And I'm 90% sure it was either the day that day or the next day. I think it was actually the same day that I booked a plane booked ticket, a went to New York and just said, oh, I happen to be in New York right now doing work <laughs> for my book. Met with him like within the next 48 hours. And then what started is him in person giving me a question to write, which is something I believe along the lines of what can Gen Z learn from sports leaders or something along those lines. And then it was like, hey, why don't we discuss, you know, future collaborations around Gen Z? So I came back, I think about probably two months later, and I was in a boardroom with pretty much every executive at the NFL. And I pitched them on a concept of, you know, doing a study on Gen Z and having me represent that. So then I spent the entirety of the 2017 and 18 NFL season pretty much in New York City spearheading what was called, I was the Gen Z NFL ambassador. So we, we through online, you know, YouTube, looking at bringing influencers to in-stadium enhancements, et cetera. I worked directly for Roger and the CMO at the time, who was Don Hudson. And then that then extended into work with the Minnesota Vikings here in town. So I did a lot of projects looking at how they can better engage the Gen Z fan, both online, watching highlights, you know, partaking in streaming services. And then obviously the main goal being to buy tickets and come to an experience. Gosh, yeah. Dude. So I, I also read that he had you do like some uh, some stuff for the Pro Bowl, which I thought was yeah. hilarious. I thought it was so funny that they were just like, all right, we like the Pro Bowl obviously sucks. Like, let's see if this kid can figure it out. So I was that was that year I was in New York and I went from the Pro Bowl to Minnesota for the Super Bowl. Cause the Super Bowl was, it right. was when yeah. it was in Minnesota. And it was one of the, like the most exciting couple weeks of my life because I was in Minnesota with the commissioner in his suite when the Minneapolis miracle happened with Stefan Diggs. I then went home went to Philadelphia, watched the Vikings get blown up by the Eagles, which was just, everybody knows what happened. It was horrible to watch. And then I went to the Pro Bowl and it was, it was really cool. It was in Orlando at the ESPN wide world of sports. And it was, you know, really focused on one of the things we did is instead of bringing one or two Disney stars underneath their budgets, we brought in a ton of different YouTubers that range from people that are doing, you know, like dude perfect and trick shots all the way to the Merrill twins who do, you know, food challenges and makeup videos. Cause we wanted to bring in everybody and they were walking around basically unrestrictedly just creating content with the players talking to people at the player hotel and we were just really trying to get sell more tickets at the physical pro bowl which was fun and then did similar stuff with a lot of nickelodeon you know initiatives at the super bowl here in minnesota doing more live events you know they did the they created like a whole kids experience where there was nickelodeon stars the slime thing interactive you know test your 40 yard dash time your height and all these different experiential things to get gen zers to come to and interact with the nfl Holy dude, your success has been a huge hockey stick, and I'm curious on like how's how has that been for you and in, in the perspective of going from 16 years old, just having these type of thoughts and this progression, and seeing the kind of like oh what could be to being 20 now and seeing it go like that type of Nike swoosh up in the air. Yeah, and I think I think, and I'm probably guilty of this too. I don't do enough of showing like the non-sexy aspect. It's so easy to get caught up in just sharing on Instagram, on LinkedIn, all the cool things are happening, the media features, the big exciting events. But like I said, a lot of it's not all that exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm working all the time behind my computer, selling speeches, writing speeches. And then, you know, going to was just in seaside Oregon in the middle of nowhere, presenting to a, a conference that was all principals in Oregon. It was, you know, in a local conference center, it wasn't all that. It was a great conference, great content. It wasn't, you know, very fashionable. And if you wouldn't, it was, you know, but I think that it's been a really exciting journey. I would 100% not be here without the the help knowledge and success of my dad. I mean, we're business partners in what we do today. We do a lot of speaking together still. Um, but his expertise specifically in the generational field and then the way he operates business has been like 
I truly believe I've learned a hundred times more than I would have in college. What's in, in, in an applicable manner, not to say that college isn't important because I do believe that, but I think the way I operate in my, the focuses that I have, I've learned so much more tangible outlooks to the business world in what I'm doing. And he's put me in situations where I am so far in over my head that I learned so much more. I've been sent to, he had a bad injury and I was sent to go speak you know, to the president staff at Penn State University. And I had to figure out what I was going to do in those situations where you're so, I believe when you're put into a situation where you have no idea how you're going to operate, when you, you know you're out of your comfort zone is when you're really going to operate better. And I just 100% owe majority of my excess, if not all to him. Yeah, that's sure. awesome that you yeah. say that too. And uh, you're talking to guys that are 23 years old that just graduated from college that are seeing what you're doing too. And just, it, it fires us up because of the potential out there for what we want to do and getting our voices out there. But also at the same time, the stories with your dad is the coolest thing. Uh, we love our dads and we are basically just mini, mini versions of our dads. Alan Brown, uh, just an absolute grinder. Definitely. My dad's way bigger than me. Like <laughs> so much bigger than me. Like physically? Oh, yeah, dude. Like size wise? Yeah. No, okay. this guy played linebacker at Northwestern, like D1 engineer. Like, oh, you didn't? Yeah, I played D3 football. I was like <laughs> six string outside linebacker. And I was also an engineer, you know. Did pretty well. My resume's in the room next door. You can take a look at it after. I'd love to. Um, but yeah, dude, wild. You know, we talk about we're like pro mom podcast. We're very hashtag pro mom on this, but I, I don't think gonna, our dad. I, 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 I love my mom. My, mo- my yeah. mom's my momager. Momager. All right. Mm-hmm. So are we gonna go? Are we gonna go on this podcast? Say it though. I, I mean, we're we're, 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 we're pro, pro dad. Pro dad. We're pro dad. Pro dad. Pro dad. We're pro parents. We're pro parents. I can confirm that. Yeah. Yeah. That's freaking awesome though. I love, I love, like Andrew said, I, I think it's so cool that you get to run a business with your dad. Like for me, my kind of running my business with my dad was uh, over summer, we would train together every morning at 6 a.m. We I, And then I interned at his company, like in construction. We'd go to work every single day. I'd just follow this man's 14 yeah. hour schedule, sun up to sundown. And I like, are you doing something very similar yeah, now? Yeah, I mean, I have a, I've always had a really good relationship with my dad. I mean, my family's five people. It's I have two sisters, so I'm... My dad younger or older. I've got. I'm a middle child. I got okay. a twenty. I got a twenty. I mean, we're the forgotten ones. That's why I had to do something unique. Otherwise, my parents wouldn't even know I existed. Exactly, but in the best of ways too. <laughs> of you can be forgotten and you can grow. It's a perfect mix of like you know. I I kind of got screwed over. My sister, like my older sister, was like the 4.0, mm. really good in school. Never did any. Never a late assignment, and I was never like a really school. I, I did well in school. I did okay. I just was. I didn't apply myself as much as I probably could have, but. Um, I have an older sister that's 22 and I have a younger sister that just turned 11. So I'm like big age Whoa. gap, but yeah, wow. but I think my dad and I always had a good relationship just cause you know, the, the two dudes in the family, he needed somebody to like match his energy. He's a high energy guy. And growing up, I was a competitive snowboarder and he would be the one every time, every weekend. I mean, I spent from age pretty much seven till 15 traveling to every, chasing winter snowboarding. And he was always the one that was riding chairlifts, waxing snowboards, driving with me and 14 driving to Colorado and back in the span of four days so like I mean I spent I'm blessed to say I spent a ton and still do a ton of time with my dad always was it with tricks and snowboarding or were you a racer so I would I did I snowboarded in all assets but I competed in racing more okay. so you did. um and then I so I was trained locally here on a, a, a club called G team and then the junior Olympic team and USA team trained out of Park City so I had a coach there that I would go train with and then literally when I say I've been to every state pretty much chasing you know there's the qualifying regional points then regional is the next level and then you got to get nationwide points to get to nationals to junior worlds it was this it's this really long elaborate similar to like golf and like qualifying points and having to finish and do enough events so um yeah but i'd spent literally 
all the time, five nights a week, snowboarding, practicing. And if I wasn't practicing, I was traveling for snowboarding. And like I said, I did a lot of that with my dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our good buddy, uh, Scott Chrisman, who's about a year or two now removed from pro, uh, pro skiing. Pro skiing. Yeah. He was a, a racer for skiing and okay. had, had a nasty injury as well and just kind of had to Yeah, that's why I stopped. Is it injury yeah. is, is, it's like, it was never like an if, it was just a when and how bad and what part of your body. Like yeah. you like prayed to break your wrist. It was like so messed up. You'd be like, God, it would be so sweet to just break a wrist this winter instead of like, I mean, I've absolutely worked my body. Like I've done mm-hmm. ankles, n- meniscus, both my collarbones, every one of my fingers. I mean, and then I fractured my back actually playing baseball, which is so ironic, not snowboarding. And then I just, that, that was the last I trained my ass off trying to get back to be at a snowboard that winter. And then I just decided like, I got really out of shape cause I couldn't move for like eight months. So I can't. Oh. So I decided then I was like, you know what, I'm, and I always kind of knew I wasn't going to go pro like after high school. Cause it's really it's not lucrative and you got to, it's a grind and it's either like you got to try for the Olympics and that's a journey and a half. And I just kind of always knew in the back of my head, I wasn't going to do it. So I saw that as an opportunity to stop. And then naturally like that next spring is when I started doing this work. Damn dude. That is a wild story. So were you doing like snow cross? Like the, so I the did crazy that and, yeah, like that and, and alpine slalom and giant alpine. slalom. So, which is like the difference is like alpine, you were like, you literally actually wear like ski boots, which people don't, it's like hard boots. Yeah. Snowboarding. Oh, yeah. So I did that. And, and then a little bit of work tilted too. Yeah, you're angled forward. So it's like, it's pretty crazy. You're riding really unique snowboards that are like a hundred times stiffer than like a and they're, freeze. Yeah. And they're incredibly heavy mm-hmm. and you're yeah, heavy fast. Edge. And the edges are like, you touch the edge. It'll actually put a six inch cut. Yep. the middle of your hand oh yeah yeah i don't i don't know how you guys do that dude, <laughs> to be honest because like i mean how fast do you guys go i mean it's a mixture of like because you're going really fast but you're also turning at like an incredible like the it's not just like it's yeah. not just like ski racing slum where it's kind of like pointed like these the offset of the turn can be like five six feet so you're going like way out but it's yeah it's just all about you know timing commitment and then not hurting yourself literally if you can like if it's just a matter of time before like it was the next injury or yeah. you hear like Oh, and the concussions, man. That's the that's the worst part is you hit you ring your bell so often and it's just like oh, yep. it gets terrible. Fuck. It's a it's a survive and advance type mentality. You yeah, literally just got survival gotta, mode. Yeah, survival mode. But how cl- bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? You got to finish that race and move on to the next one. And that's kind of the mentality you had right away. You finished your your ski career or your snowboard career and you're like, all right, it's time to get on to the next thing. You didn't know what it was, but you kept on moving with the momentum of your competition. Your your inner fire to just be to be great, I would say, um, and then that transitioned you into public speaking, and that's something that our audience um, loves hearing. Uh, just kind of how people became comfortable with it, and kind of walking through those early stages, because some of the most rewarding podcasts we have are when our friends or friends of friends come on here, and they're uh, they're um, people that are kind of introverted and don't necessarily have the confidence to share their story but we we sit down and then we get to talk about them and they get to share their passion and that's when they get uplifted so i'm curious when going back to that like first time at st thomas and then a couple times maybe thereafter you having the confidence in yourself to speak to these adults and have that uh, belief in your content how did how did that go what was the growth like that's a great question it's like a mixture of two things mainly one it was like originally when i first started i was really like focused on learning a specific speech i would like look at the notes i'd write out every line word for word what am i going to actually say and then like a year into it i started like really like understanding the topic of generational difference gen z and learning the topic versus the actual content was a huge difference because then like i could start on like versus when i first started i would start on a line and if i would look up at the audience and start addressing them and forget where my point was going i was screwed because i got to go back and start looking where am i going with this versus I would start understanding what I'm saying more. Like it was almost like I was just talking and wasn't really fully grasping what I'm saying. Then I started, mm. you know, over the course of 
two months, three months, four months, five months, a year, started learning the actual topic and then understanding where I wanted to go with the point. And then I could almost make it up as I go. And then literally just so, so, so much practice, like an immense amount of practice. And I think it's something with public speaking that you've, you've, you've got to get to the next level to, in, in order to start working with a lot of these companies, because they, they'll, they'll request to see footage. They'll want to hear testimonials. They'll want to hear recommendations. And once again, my dad put me through what I would call like speakers boot camp and then some. It was picking down everything from the way I emphasize my points with my hands to when do I punctuate a sentence? When do I change my tone of voice? How do I draw them in with your words? And if you're going to tell a story, how do you create a picture in somebody's mind of the story you're telling in the first 10 seconds so they're engaged? How do you spend the first 10 minutes of them really liking your content so they don't spend the first half hour deciding if some 18-year-old kid is legitimate legitimate enough, legitimate enough for them to learn from them. Um, and then just, you know, like I said, it's just the, the want to do it. Like I love doing it. So it's, it's a mixture of, and you know, like it's one of the biggest fears in the world is public speaking. And I think that my, my biggest piece of advice for speaking is always, is that people, when you're speaking and you mess up, you feel like it's the end of the world. You're like, Oh my God, everybody's, I'm so embarrassed and it's justifiable. But I always say, if you're sitting in an audience, listening to somebody speak and they stumble upon their words or they forget what they're saying, you don't care. I mean, you look at them, they're like, that's ah, fine. You, you move on 10 seconds later. But when you're, when you're that person, it feels like everybody's judging. It's the end of the world. How do I move on from this? And I always just say like, you, no one cares. No one cares. Just figure out what you're trying to say, move on and keep going. And then if you really want to do it, you just got to practice, look in the mirror or have somebody critique you. I had my dad, I had a speech coach. I did media training to, you know, figure out how to answer questions correctly, all the above. And it just, it just takes, just like anything else, it takes repetitions. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to that want aspect when you do fail or when you do have those hiccups of high pressure. You're, you're oh, I've absolutely had, I've had botches before you, you had them all. You've had bad days, good days, great days. You have days where you, you, you know, you didn't do well. You're sweating, you're, you're nervous, you're not on point and you've had, I've had standing ovations and you know, that's what keeps you coming back. It like you, you strive to get your rate at which you're doing better. You know, you want to keep practicing to get better and updating your content, finding out what makes people laugh because laughter, whether it's you're a stand-up comedian or a, a business speaker. Laughter is important. So, how do you create that moment where people are excited? To that's my asset, that? dude. Yeah, that's it. I'm just gonna be the. I'm just gonna be the comedy guy. Yeah, it's important, man. I mean, mm -hmm. like natural natural ability to make somebody laugh is absolutely a thing. It's not easy when you're trying to run the open mic realm around here, too. <laughs> I'm a, a stand-up comedian. I don't know if you knew that. I've been, you actually, yeah, been I love that. Been working on it for since like November. Just Talk about like practice and like a saturated space. Like to you gotta like really want it there. I mean, like there's yeah. there's there's a lot, and I, I love going to like. You know, like the Laugh Factory in LA or these different places where you like you've you, been. I've been there and they have like these open mic nights. You you'll hear like the funniest of people come up to the mic and oh, yeah. and on the other end I just saw Adam Sandler's live show where he nice. like I don't know if you've seen his Netflix special where yeah. he like sings. I saw it live, it was, oh, he's hilarious. That's yeah, awesome. He's, he's the man. Yeah. Well, it's shocking how many people are in open mics. Like you think it'd be kinda like this barren area because it's like uh, it's something that's for free. But it, it there's packed every night, every place you go to, there's always a, sure. a laundry list of people ready yeah. to get on. It's wild. Yeah. I, so I know you mentioned like content and how that played a lot of key, a key role in, the, in your confidence and delivering these speeches. I want to talk a little bit about that content. I know you mentioned like your work with the NFL and a couple other companies and kind of attacking it from like a funnel where you're grabbing these kids with either like an influencer, a YouTuber, you know, someone, and then bringing them down all the way to the point of whatever that company's goal is, whether it's getting them to watch the Pro Bowl, getting them to mm -hmm. engage with their product, getting them to do this, do that. What is it about Gen Z or what have, how have you been able to complete that funnel or really engage with these kids? That's a great question. So it's like to simplify, like my work is, is mainly one of two things. The first one would be like, if I get most of the time, if I get hired to come speak at a company, which 
on average as a business, whether it's myself, my both me and my dad, or my dad speaks solo very rarely now, but I'd say we, as a business, we do like eight to 10 speeches a month anywhere in the U S all the wow. time. So, and that is more about creating what I would call awareness about like, we'll go in there and talk about and present loads of data in a, in a keynote presentation about mainly one of two things. One is about, you know, how do you best recruit, retain, and, you know, engage Gen Z in your specific place of employment. So my speech that I will give, you know, I'm speaking at LinkedIn next week is very different than that of an insurance or an accounting firm because they have very different problems and we have industry specific data to back that. And I still put LinkedIn in those boxes as the accounting LinkedIn they're the squares, they're the they're the squares of the world, but yeah, I, you know what you mean. So like for like the corp for a perfect example, like an example of a difference they face is like a local insurance firm, like is probably struggling to get individuals to even a apply LinkedIn is getting thousands of applicants every single day because for example they're a leading edge company they drop their college degree requirement they are hiring coders fresh out of high school they're hiring video producers content managers and they're they're facing like who are we actually looking for what are the best kind of employees that we want versus somebody that like how do we redesign our website how do we put out content to get anybody to come work here because we cannot get anyone so that's like a different you know problem and then the other thing I do is you know go to a retail or a company like I just did work with Cliff Bars and they're looking to redesign marketing campaigns. How do they get Gen Zers to interact with the Cliff brand? Not necessarily only by Cliff Bars, but how do they get them to interact with the brand in general? And then like you're saying, how do we then get less through a less corporate lens working directly with like the NFL or something like that? How do we engage Gen Zers themselves? It's like one of the biggest things I think that we've been doing is that people don't even realize it, but Gen Zers in general, we're really after experiences for the most part. I mean, we spend majority of our spending power goes towards experiential events versus products or items. Take, for example, a Gen Zer, 80% said they're more likely to buy a plane ticket than they are bef- buy a, a product of the same value. So like I'd buy a, a two-week vacation before I bought a bike or a car or I'd buy you know a concert ticket before I bought a new pair of shoes. And it's all about capturing the moment because what it does is it creates memories and there's no buyer's remorse. I can go to a concert and my product that I get out of that is the awesome picture I post on Instagram with my friends that people like and they share comments and then it's a memory that we have and it shows up in your Snapchat memories two years later and you're like, God, I have no regrets of spending the $200 to go to Kanye West concert oh, or whatever it is. So that's like, so true. So it's all, it, it's, about, it's all about then if you're a product, how do you create an experience? So perfect yeah. example, like Cliff Bar, how do they create an experience out of that? So then they start putting their names up over the X Games. So now you go to the X Games and then you associate oh. biking or skateboarding with Cliff Bars or you yeah. see, like people always say like, like they'll see a they'll see a plane flying over a city and it'll have a Pepsi banner like who's actually going to go buy a Pepsi after that I'm like it's not about that it's about you're now associating whatever you're doing with Pepsi so the next time if it's at a baseball event and you see a Pepsi banner fly over behind a, a crop duster plane your next time you go to a baseball game you're going to associate Pepsi with baseball it's all right. about creating that experiential buying process yeah, that like little I mean it's it's kind of product placement within that experience totally. um and I love that no, I think one thing too is just like getting creative about how you attack that now. Like, and you see it a lot in like with these YouTubers who are now being sponsored by certain companies. And oh, the influencer is crazy. The it's, influencer thing. I mean, it's totally blown up and totally blown out of proportion now because it's been around for you know five six years. I'd say. Well, influencer marketing is probably the most effective way to market a product if you're not necessarily a ginormous one. I think that yeah. like when you start to become a huge product and you start partnering with brands, it's a little harder because it seems as though they sold out. But if you're like a a niche company or you're a, a clothing brand, you're trying to get out into the water, you start, I mean, cause if you think about it, it's like the end of the celebrity endorsement as you know it. Like yeah. take, for example, you see somebody like Matthew McConaughey behind a Lincoln commercial. You're like, God, there is no freaking way that guy drives a Lincoln versus like, <laughs> versus you see a somebody on Instagram with 250,000 followers that has a very specific 
skateboard following. He he endorses a certain type of skateboard shoe. You're going to trust the fact that he actually likes that shoe because yeah. if not, his audience is going to be like, what the hell? These are terrible. I'm going to unfollow you. And they have much more authentic. And you also get to see that person way more than you do Matthew McConaughey. For example, you have no idea what he's doing anytime besides you see his face in a movie versus an influencer on average on Instagram is posting, you know, a couple stories a day. You see what they're doing in the morning. You see what they're doing at night. They post a video. So you're getting more access to you almost it builds that relationship with them. So their, their trust between them and their audience is way more influential as an influencer states than any other form of advertising, I believe. Yeah. It's crazy too, because you look at like the previous eras and you only had the Matthew McConaughey, sure. all these people with massive, massive followings. And of course those guys are getting all the deals with Pepsi and all these different bigger companies. So it was always a big man's game, but now with Instagram and the fact that all of us, every single person in this room right now has an Instagram account with probably 700 or more followers you know that's that's a brand everybody's got their own brand now which is crazy to think about but then how do you flip that right now you're building smaller relationships within a smaller box doing the same thing that you were before it's kind of, it's it, it blows my mind that like that's a thing because we had um this uh pr lady on uh, alexis walsko she owns uh lola red pr yeah yeah and i know she, who she is she's yeah, great yeah. she's awesome dude she, she talk about high energy she's yeah, high energy, energy dude. She came she's in, badass. badass i love her 100 percent. Mm-hmm. so um she was saying how they go after micro influencers now oh, for sure and how she was saying well, that's what i'm saying because even like take for example somebody like jake paul jake paul has jake paul sells like, i know specifically a lot of money on his merchandise and it's a very macro scale versus somebody even more micro with that fifty to two hundred thousand follower mark. Like like I said, you can if they have a if they have a car following and you're you're trying to sell, you know, a wireless charger that's compatible for all cars, you're gonna go to them before you go to somebody huge because you know that all hundred fifty thousand people that are following him like cars in some form or another because he only posts car content. So the idea of a micro influencer to me is like people are like, I can't believe people are trusting these small followings. I'm like, why? It's an exactly targeted audience to a specific product that you're trying to push. Like the people, like especially like the makeup and makeup game with all these people that review makeup and post makeup videos, they're making so much money and they're getting all sorts of free product. They're pushing and moving products, so it keeps working. Like people are like they're making they're making good contracts. These a lot of these kids. Yeah, it blows my mind, and it what's so crazy about it too is you know kind of that the whole data aspect too is now as you're. Um, as someone who like us will will have three thousand followers or whatever, right? And that's only going to consistently grow. Yeah, we now have three thousand data points that we now have sure. true feedback off of, and using that to b- learn more about our company and how we're growing and and understand the questions that we have, we actually get answers from that. Like for sure, when we run like this is a really funny example. We'll do um three second or longer or only three second videos on Instagram sometimes. So like pretty much gifts. So we run Facebook advertising towards that. For sure. And the most engaged audience is 13 to 17 year old males. And we had, we were like, we, our whole podcast is about like probably eight. Well, have you ever looked eight, at like your Instagram demographic? It's crazy to look at it. Like, I look at mine sometimes yeah. and it's like, oh, it's, I have, it's like completely different than that of my, like my business. It's nowhere near aligning with like the people I'm in front of. In a day. Right. Like people are like, oh, you must get so many followers from going to speak to these people. Like the percentage of my followers that are like of the demographic I speak to is so low. It's like, it's weird. It doesn't really because they don't it. get it. They yeah. don't get it. That was a shock to us. Cause we had no idea until we did stuff like to market research, what our audience was and the people that follow us and the people that listen to us. Like if I yeah. look at my, my Instagram and I look at, so like when I, when I do business, I would say that majority of the companies I go work for are, you know, there's a percent, like very few times I'll go speak to someone. There'll be like a, there'll be like the off gen Z or there'll be somebody, somebody brought their kid or there's a very young intern or there's, 
somebody working the you're the youngest event. guy in the room is what you're saying usually usually yeah. and then there's a good amount of millennials then there's a lot of gen xers usually and then there's a lot of baby boomers and those are like because yeah. those are like the core demographic of the business people and then if i look at like my instagram insights like of my following from doing that like you have what like twenty eight thousand, somewhere right around there i you're have blue check guy also not to brag Big i have brag subtle brag so 81 percent of my followers are 18 to 24 wow 56 percent women then the other percent men obviously and then it's New York, Minneapolis, South Africa, because I have my, a lot of family in South Africa is on really? there. And then Chicago, the UK, and then Sao Paulo is on there at the very bottom. One, 3% Sao Paulo. Wow. So shout out to Sao Paulo. Yeah, All the out. Sao Paulo <laughs> listeners tuning in today. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah, Thanks I mean, for like, joining. It, it's exactly what I'm saying. It's like it's, you got to spread out your brand. So obviously I do work. So that's at the same time why, I mean, I also, I've been off of like social media for a while. I, I, I'm a, it's so weird because I... I have a following. I have media. I just don't like posting. I don't know. Like I, I'm not somebody that's ultra motivated to create content, which doesn't actually align with what a lot of people are like. Oh, that's kind of weird. But, um, but at the same time, like I want to post on Instagram because it's fun, it's cool, but like it generates absolutely zero business for me. So like versus like I post on LinkedIn all the time. I'm on LinkedIn. I mean, I get versus I get a handful of new followers a day, but I get like twenty to thirty five LinkedIn connections a day, and I will respond individually to each one, whether it's the off person that just said, I'll be like happy to connect signed JS and I'll do that versus if I get an, a lot of sales through LinkedIn. So like I spend way more time on there cause that's generating business sales. But at the right. same time I shouldn't continue to have to care about Instagram cause it's also like you're talking about is building and diversifying your brand. So, and that goes right back to my point is like, everyone's got their own brand. Like, yeah, you're, you're now growing yours and having extreme success, but like look at yourself as an entity, dude, mm-hmm. you have people in South Africa following you people in the UK, New York, Minneapolis. Now you have an 18 to 24 year old audience here in, on Instagram that just love like your cool um, posts that you're doing there. And then you have all your business and influx for your public speaking and your Gen Z insight on LinkedIn. And then you can even go to like Twitter and just use that as like your freaking Rolodex. And I'm sure it'd crush there too. Oh yeah. It's oh, crazy yeah. how like these social platforms have now well, it's also crazy so like what you're talking about like in the era of social media and the older generation is not fully grasping one what they are and the potential of them is that i think that like the biggest mistake that companies and people make is that they assume that we will go to each social media platform as if they're the same when in reality each social media platform plays such a specific role and has such a specific difference or unique aspect to it so, like for example I go to Twitter to like look at what's happening in the world. Like I'll go there like before yeah. I Google like news. I'll just go to Twitter and find out. I'll click on what's trending and I'll go through sports, politics, news, weather, travel, and I'll just see what's trending. And then you see the occasional meme that's or the the viral video that's got five hundred thousand likes and a million retweets in three hours, and it's something hilarious. I go to Instagram to see what my friends are doing. I go to Facebook to. I mean, I really don't use Facebook. I'll post the one off Facebook thing, and then I it's go family to family and friends. It's family and friends, and I mean, it it, it was that people were like, "Oh, you're not on it because your parents are on it." Um, yeah, you're, you're right. You guys saturated the platform, and now I'm not going to share anything. You guys are all debating yeah, politics yeah. out there, and I'm not. <laughs> and also, if you look at Facebook, though, like I, I mean, like you get sucked down the well. Of Facebook now, it's it's well more of a content platform than it is a social media platform yeah. compared to like three years ago. You go on there, you click on one video, like me, like. And they know exactly what you want to watch. Like, I'll watch one live PD video, and then I'm stuck watching, like, police videos for four and a half hours. <laughs> I gotta go to like, until 3.30 in the morning. You big cops guy? I love live PD, man. I don't know what it is. I'm just, I get, <laughs> I don't watch the show ever, but I'll, I'll, it'll be like, they, they clickbait you. They get these titles in there, and I'm like, God, now I gotta watch it. Mm-hmm. But, but, I mean, like, it really is crazy how much, like, they really do know what you want to watch. Like, if you, like scroll past a video and you don't even look at it for more than a second, they'll, like, immediately get that out of the algorithms. Versus, I watch... 10 minutes of live PD, I'll keep using an example. The next 15 videos are all along those lines because they know that I'm going to watch them. So it's like, mm-hmm. they're really doing it. And then 
talking about social media, you go to Snapchat. It's I, I don't even view that as social media really. It's just like a communication platform. It's like a text, WhatsApp. I mean, yeah. Like I just go there to communicate with my friends. I never watch the like the Snap Discover news. Thing. I mean, like no. I think it was the right thing for them to do because it doesn't hurt the platform. In essence, I think people are still using it and Snapchatting friends. But I mean, I use Twitter for news. I call Instagram the highlight reel. Nobody's going to share the downfall of their day on Instagram. It's just about updating the world in a visually appealing way. And then, mm-hmm. like I said, Twitter's news and Facebook's fun and family friends. But the big one to me is YouTube. YouTube is the powerhouse of all social platforms. I mean, like, do you know how long the average American teenager spends on YouTube a day? No, I don't. 48 minutes. Yo. So like the average length, or like, let me rephrase that. The average American teenager, when they log on to YouTube, spends upwards of 48 minutes on there. That's not daily, but when they log on, it's not to watch a one-off six-minute video. They're on there the same length that they're watching an episode of The Office or Family Guy. So people that, and it's becoming obviously well more more well-known now, but it's not just like a, a fun little platform. It's competing not with BuzzFeed and Twitter. It's competing with NBC. It's competing with Nickelodeon, Disney Channel, and it'll beat them because, you know, I can go there and watch what I want to watch when I want to watch it. And then when I'm sick of it five minutes in, I can go watch something else. And it's all about that customized entertainment, getting it when you want it. And, you know, that's like we're talking about the era of the influencers. They're letting you into their lives so you feel more included. You're getting the behind the scenes footage. You're watching all this different stuff. And to me, and it's also creating like a new way to learn. Like, I think that's half yes. the reason Gen Z is so independent is because we've grown up in a world like we're talking about with native to technology is we've only known a world where if you want to learn how to do literally anything in the world, you can log on and learn. Like right now, if I decided that they're playing guitar earlier, if I wanted to decide to play guitar, like I could probably have a d- decent under, I know nothing about music, but I could that's have a how, decent, that's literally how I learned like, I could have a decent understanding of how to play, you know, the different chords and guitar in the next week. Or if I wanted to learn how to play Texas Hold'em, I could do that. If I wanted to learn how to speak Swahili or tile a bathroom floor, you name it. Like we've only known a world where that's possible. And I think that's part of the reason why Gen Z is very competitive and like immensely independent when it comes to operating and learning. YouTube University. Yeah, YouTube generation. It's all, and it sits there at the bottom of the funnel. Wherever you are trying to, like for us, our consumers, our listeners, they embrace us on Instagram, they embrace us on Twitter and uh, Facebook. Where do you get your most listens to or plays? I'm just curious. Um, from For the podcast yeah. sake? It's all from the Apple Podcast. Okay. Like 75%. Okay. Um, Spotify and then YouTube. Yep. Just curious. But that sits at the bottom of the funnel. We're pushing all of the the social media handles to the YouTube pages to get a little bit more engagement there. And then once they watch us a few times and actually see what our culture is like on this podcast, like nothing too special, very average. No, I think that's... And almost it's like how you do it. It's like... It's like audio and podcasts and whether you call it a vodcast because you also film. I think that podcasts are now becoming so normal that people will start to try to do too much. Like they'll try to stand out <laughs> in a way when in reality, the way you get somebody to come listen is once again, creating that experience where somebody wants to come back. They feel like they know almost the vibe they're going to get. Like you're saying, you're chilling here. It's very vibey. I mean, there's nothing mm-hmm. crazy unique about the setup or the way we're talking. And it's just creating that relationship with the listener or viewer so that they log onto the camera, they they know what they're gonna get, and they're gonna like the content that's provided, and that's how I think that. Like people are always telling me to do a podcast, and I really should do one. It's just finding, you know, what is my vibe? Because you got to in one way, you have to find something that's different, whether it's what you talk about your guests or. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's audio, and you know, the whole idea of just conversation is is really really trending. It's, it's very trending. It's very, very pivotal right now. People love embracing. Do you have a favorite podcast besides this one? Yeah, uh, the Joe Rogan Experience. Uh, everybody loves it. Everyone it's loves so Joe. good. I mean, yeah. like. Talk about, he's just such a good interviewer. I mean, he gets, it'll go, it'll, it'll, it'll shift from talking about Tesla Model 3's production to tell us about your, when you took LSD. You're like, what just <laughs> happened? Like, what? It's like, and he's just so good at getting people to talk about 
everything, anything and everything. Mm-hmm. And God, those things are long. Like the best. I loved the. I, I'm obsessed with Elon Musk and everything about his yep. operation style, his innovative style. Like I think he was literally a mutant in the way he thinks. And I mean, like that's like a three hour podcast, and they had, they they were nowhere near short of topics. Like it was cr- everything and everything, always rolling. And always. and he can do that with the Elon Musk of the world, and he can do that with Miss Pat, who's a um com- a comedian that had this incredible story. I just watched a Joe Rogan one last night, not yeah. that one, but I just watched one. It was really good. And and, he, and it's it's a beautiful art in that form of it's three hours, and it's so personal in the sense totally. of, and they can share whatever they want and they can talk about whatever they want and Joe is just sitting there trying to just make sure that you stay in kind of a direction not really but trying to navigate yeah. it yeah yeah <laughs> and then he even gets even crazier when he gets on like the the founder of Twitter and uh that other girl I forget what her oh, name yeah, was Oh yeah Jack Dorsey Jack Dorsey yeah, that, that was amazing but I think what's really cool is the fact that it's an undistracted conversation and Joe's at realm for 3 hours for us it's you know an hour however long this goes and it it's really cool because it it provides you know natural authentic transparent content and then sure. that this is the fuel source like Andrew and I aren't selling anything dude this is this is the bottom of our funnel we want people people what people engage with on, us on Instagram LinkedIn everywhere and then but maybe somewhere some way somehow they find us now at the podcast and now they're right. listening to us for forty five minutes and now you're here like this is what it is welcome to the bottom of the funnel for the people that are listening <laughs> like this is what it is but it's so cool how the podcast. From just a natural conversation, which something that I would want to do even if we weren't recording, it's it now becomes the the spark for content totally. that we can distribute across the entire world. Totally. And that's such a cool impact, the fact that you live five minutes away from us and your girlfriend's here, we got our best buddy recording it, and now this thing's gonna drop and it's gonna go everywhere. And that's like that's the thing that I just can't get my head around right now in terms of like where this world's going, because there is just so much opportunity there. And like you said, Gen Z is so independent. There's so many things that they're already picking up on, right? They want every kid wants to be Logan Paul. Every kid wants <laughs> yeah. to be like the those vloggers, those YouTubers. And I think it like statistically is one of the most desired careers. To yeah, be a YouTuber. it's 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 crazy, but it's like why? It's because you can do what you want and you When you get to talk about like like I talk about like talent gap, you're seeing what they want to do, so you want to yes. replicate it what you're doing. Like Exactly. Versus- a very much traditional industry where you know nothing about it. It's harder to crave that when you don't know necessarily what it is. Yeah. My, my thing, my, my biggest question though, going forward is the whole idea of like people getting like deplatformed and copyright and all this, these issues. Like, I don't know if you listen to Joe enough, but Joe talks about it a ton and he just released a podcast today about it, which I would highly suggest you guys both go listen to. But they talk about this whole idea that, you know, YouTube is, is now basically controlling what's going out there, and then that's a huge problem with freedom of speech. And, like, I don't even know how that's going to all play out. And what Joe's even talking about now is, like, he's going to maybe eventually leave YouTube and just So here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Love it or hate it, whatever their regulations are, if it's good or bad, yeah. no one's leaving YouTube. Everybody threatens to leave YouTube. Everybody says they're going to leave YouTube if it doesn't change. YouTube's where the money is, so they're going to do what they want to do. Talk yeah. about, like, Google Ad Plus revenue. They're, these people are getting, like... Thousands of dollars on AdSense for a, a, a hundred thousand views. I mean, like, take somebody for like, what's his name? Um, Mr. Beast. You know who Mr. Beast is? He's a no. YouTuber that does like this, like the challenges. He's like, he's like, he he'll do something like, he'll like surprise four of his friends. He'll put them in like a Tesla. He says, last person to get out of the Tesla keeps it. Like, he just does these stupid videos, but he can He throws 
their 20 minute videos, he has like 10, 15, 20 ads and he's getting 25 million views. He is making so much money that even if he's getting copyright strikes, even if Joe Rogan's getting copyright strikes, I truly believe that none of them are going to leave because that's where they're making their money. And I think that, yes, it's a problem, whether it's music, freedom of speech, what they're regulating and what's well, do you see age the issue, appropriate. Though? Do you see the issue, though, is if, if Joe wants to talk about something that is against YouTube's policy. Yeah, but that, I, not, I, like, but they leave that stuff out there. I've seen all sorts of videos. Like, I don't think they're gonna strike him for talking about it. I think what it is is like when they play unfair music, when they break community guidelines of showing, yeah. you know, whatever it is, or yeah. Well, but the uh, fact that he can't make money on that is kind of ridiculous. Oh like, yeah, I, that, I agree with you. Yeah. I hundred percent agree with you. But I think that their audiences are all there. Nobody. It's gonna yeah. be. I mean, it's gonna be. I don't. I don't doubt that it could happen. But I think it just take. It'll take time before something. I mean, YouTube. Yeah. Everyone's on YouTube. They get. They get over a billion unique visitors a day. Yeah, yeah. and we all have YouTube TV. Like all. Oh, I mean, it's the yeah. best. It's, it's the best. best. I have it too. I mean, yeah. like, why wouldn't you have it? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And another thing too, which is you know kind of blowing my mind, is um, how like these new apps keep coming up, and the people that take advantage now just blow up immediately yeah like tiktok i think is a great example well, it's not, it's, that's not that new you know that it's, was, it, it was musically it was music, and then they yeah. rebranded I mean, it's, yeah, tiktok it's, it's it's not new at all right? no it's smart though it's i just think great, it's a great for sure example because it was vine and the musically kind of came along right in the vine era well you vine know vine, vine vine died strictly because of there wasn't room for advertising there wasn't enough room to make money i mean people are like why doesn't vine come back because vine isn't isn't very lucrative i mean like you can't unless you start you know incorporating ads before a six second video but nobody wants to watch an ad before they watch six seconds of content the reason why youtubers make so much money is because they can in a 15 minute video you can sneak two minutes worth of ads in there and you know you maybe get the occasional where you can skip it you can't incorporate that many advertisements into where you're literally watching a six second video so like both vine wasn't making enough money and their content creators weren't making enough money so that's why they all left yeah i mean that's i think a lot of people actually don't understand why vine died and i think that's in essence is there wasn't enough room for advertising, and that's how all of these platforms make money. YouTube, advertising. Their content creators, advertising. All of it. Yep. That's a great point. And then, like, even with TikTok, though, it's kind of... It, TikTok's it, pretty cool. I mean, I, don't, I, have, I haven't really been Blows on it a mind. lot. My, my little sister's a big big TikTok fan. Oh, yeah. Fan. The youngins. They oh, love youngins. They love it. That's yeah. what I'm they saying. Love it. It's weird, dude. It is weird. It, it blows my mind. Just, like, do you... I don't know. We it's it just hey, honestly. F- fuck so you have like a you have like yeah. a you have like a hidden TikTok account that like you you're posting videos to. We no, follow dude. one dude. We ha- we have one. <laughs> uh, we have a account. We follow one person, Piff Peterson. He's our good buddy that like went from uh, nothing, nothing to one million followers, followers on TikTok. Yeah, he's crazy. our age, and he's just he's honestly he's lost his mind on it. And I say fuck TikTok. I yeah, just, it's just <laughs> like, dude, I don't. It's I, like oh I don't need God. it. But um, before I get to the back pocket questions, Greg, you said you wanted to ask. Greg, you got a question, question, dude? Yeah, fire it away, buddy. Um, I heard that. I heard that Gen Z is considerably more conservative politically than. Oh, politics! Politics. <laughs> we don't. We're, yeah, we're, we're not, not political. No, 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 no this is a great question. No, that's it. a great question. That's a great. I only said that because I. It's like the most asked question. And then, and then is it true? And then. And then is it true? So I. I will hold on. Let's make sure. The so, oh yeah, yeah, sorry, I forgot you didn't have a microphone. So he heard to rephrase that he heard statistically he believes that Gen Z is more conservative politically. Is that true and why? And I gotta, for reasons I'll share. Then I have to stay mainly neutral. But I will say that one thing that we hear statistically and through focus groups, I actually was pretty involved in and have been in this this upcoming election. I did a lot with the midterms. I did you know a series with some news outlets that were called why am I voting all these different things and one thing that we hear is that Gen Z is not yet fully engaged in the political process because we don't believe in the power of politics so take for example somebody like a baby boomer has a specific memory even a even a Gen Xer and even some millennials have a memory of 
seeing a Republican reach across the aisle to a Democrat or a Democrat reach across the aisle to a Republican and come across to work together to better our nation and work together, put their specific agendas aside. Generation Z has not genuinely has not one example of of that happening. We have only known a world of complete political polarization. The last memory of that really happening would be 9-11 when we saw all that put aside. We have to work on the strengthening our nation. We have to come together to fix it. And what I think really needs to happen before we fully decide whether we're conservative, liberal, whatever, independent, whatever it may be, is politicians have to convince Gen Z that politics are, that the political process is a driver for change. A study came out from Northeastern now a few years ago that said only 2% of Gen Zers believe that politics is the number one way to drive change or to push an agenda. And to me, it makes perfect sense when you've never seen, you know, a neutral attitude to help the nation, you're not going to necessarily see it as the most progressive. But what we do know is Gen Z is really civically engaged and that typically starts to carry over to political engagement. So take something for like saving like, a park like, or, like that or, like, yeah. or even like March for Our Lives is, a, is something that showed like a lot of character around a specific politically related issue whether it was gun control or the environment whatever it may be take it there's a lot of examples is this still on oh yeah okay yeah you're good i, I think it might be the headphones. that's all right. all right but um i just think it's you can't hear yourself through your headphones i hear it a little bit it's good oh, okay but i think that um i think that it's a little early to say because the large percent of gen z has not yet voted in a presidential election 2020 will be the first time that major a lot a large percentage of a bigger percentage of gen z will vote in this election than the percentage of the youth vote that won obama the 2008 elections because they say you know the youth won obama in 2008 and there's a bigger percentage of gen zers voting in this election than the percentage that voted in that generation with the millennials so i i'm, I'm really excited to see what what happens whether we're liberal conservative what brings us out to vote what politicians do because in the last presidential election no one really even addressed the young vote the gen z vote and i think it's if you're a politician i was at the iowa caucuses um when before Trump won his first term. And I think that no one's really talking about Gen Z. I think it'll be a hotter topic coming up as we saw last night was the first Democratic, Democratic debate. Yeah. And I think that there's going to be a lot more conversation about the young vote talking to us, engaging us, because as I said, I think that they have a long way to go before understanding that. And that was a very political answer. I kind of dodged your question. But I have a potential series, potential content play coming out with the 2020 election about the young vote. So I kind of have to. But it was a fair question, and I'm 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 equal, and I, I think honestly, like, I really don't know. I don't think anyone knows. I think there's a lot of you know forecasting, putting together issues we care about, talking about the way we go about things, and saying, oh, that's very liberal, or oh, that's very conservative. But like statistically, it's too early to say. I mean, not not enough percentage of Gen Z has voted for a president yet, and that'll be changed in 2020. So I think it'll be very interesting to see what the young vote does, who who they vote for. I had a quick question yeah. going off of you said about change, and you said pol politics was the second driver of change what was the number no, one no no what no, you no, say? It sorry wasn't even close to that actually no it was more so that only two percent two percent of oh. gen z said that they believe that politics is the number one way to drive change oh so like that number i don't know what it was but it was like astronomically higher for like other generations to where you, where they were younger and that comes from the idea of that we've never seen really a progressive political party it, it's it's three steps forward five steps backwards before you, somebody presents a new idea and then it gets stopped before it makes it to the top it's all these yeah. different things so like like I said, I think it just needs to be, regardless of your beliefs, that we have to see a progressive political process yeah. in order to believe, like, saying, like, oh, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm going to support this candidate because I truly believe that they're going to be able to accomplish what they mm. say they are and what I want them to do. Mm. That's what I, in essence, that's yeah. not, that came from Northeastern University. Okay. Wow. Damn, dude. Well, that's called uh, some market research. A little bit. I, yeah, you're crushed that. I get asked that all the time. Like, I get asked, like, 
that that question's probably asked the most. I get asked, "What's the next generation going to be called?" And I get, "Are you going to college?" The most of those three questions I get literally on a daily basis. Well, I'll ask you a question you probably don't get too frequently. <laughs> Let's hear it. It's uh, what's your average quality? And this is something you do well at times, yeah. other times not so well. At the end of the day, it's I had your to ask quality. you before. I'll admit that because I had to like think like I needed to like, and I I, I I it's supposed to make you think, man. I thought a little bit of the only one I'm going to struggle on is this one where I, I I'm not I have no idea who to challenge you to invite, but I'll get there in a second. But okay. I think my average quality. I think that I need to ruminate more. I think I'll get really excited about an idea, like something will come forth or an opportunity will come forth and I'll act on it immediately. I'll be like, okay, we're going to do this. Here's what we're going to do. Let's do it now. Here's step one. Here's step two. Here's how we're going to make money and here's how we're going to get it to market. And I don't stop and think about it enough. So whether it's a new opportunity or a new purchase, I'll get really excited, amped up, and then I'll just go and do it. And I think I need to challenge myself to sit there, weigh out the pros, the cons, and how I'm going to get there before I make a decision. So like my dad will always say like, and he, he'll challenge me to do this. He'll like, he'll give me in a task or anything. He'll be like, I don't even want to hear about it or have you bring me any information on it for the next 48 hours. He's like, I don't want you to, I don't want to hear anything about it. He's like, think about it because what you have now is very different than the process and the thinking that you'll have in bed later tonight or the next morning after you eat. So I think that I really just need to stop, chill out and think a little bit because I'm always wound up. I'm always excited. So I just got to like relax and unplug and really think about how this could play out realistically in a good and bad way because that could become your biggest asset because you you, because you can move so quickly and you can um get after any task that you truly care about that if you put a little bit more time in between the thought behind every in each and every step then you're just you're going to market in in a much more thoughtful and even even just in like life too not in a work world obviously but even like if a decision comes up whether what i'm going to do in any asset just really stopping and thinking about what i want to do yeah. It, you know what's crazy too is like it's like that patience thing. I'm the same way where it's like the second I get an idea, I'm like so stoked about it, but rarely am I ever um thinking about the impact. And I think that's what your dad's kind of getting at totally. is like, oh, this idea, this this the crux of do this idea. Im- do you know what impact theory is? Um I've heard of it, don't yeah, necessarily know about it. It's kind of that what what is the impact? Like that's Got the it. whole premise. Okay. But yeah, I'm the same way. Like I'm not very I don't even know if it's patience for me. It's more so like I'm saying I just get like I just like you're well, stoked about. I'm so I have so much going on that I oftentimes will like look through one very specific lens instead of yeah. you know like there you go. Like if I have like a like the website for I'm like building a website and instead of like asking other people how would you have done this I'll just stick to it and then it doesn't go well and then I'm like God I really should have just thought about that before I did that for a second. So. Mm-hmm. Well, going right off that man, what is in your back pocket when pressure becomes stress and anxieties rise and this is what you use Jonah to overcome these situations. What is in my back pocket? I get it. I'm hey. just <laughs> Um, I'm very realistic, like extremely real. I'm a, I'm a huge realist. Like I'm, I'm very good and always have been at seeing big picture, whether that was in school. Like if I, if I did bad on a test, I was like, all right, it's fine. I'm going to be okay. And this is really bothersome right now, but I'll be a little bit better in four hours and I'll be significantly better in a week. And it's probably not going to be that huge of a deal. And I've just always been very good at seeing things big picture, like in a very good way. And in, in, in a way that like has, you know, oftentimes sometimes maybe handle things too casually but at the same time it's something that i just will be able to like if especially if i'm stressed out and chill i'm really good at taking a moment taking a deep breath moving forward and not getting caught up in my own head getting you know crippled by that fear of failure getting overly anxious and just really understanding what i need to do to get there and i think it's just that realistic and big picture attitude that i've always really been able to achieve and i understand that you know some in, in a lot of cases you're not you're not just able to think outside the box and avoid anxiety. It's a mental illness and it affects people differently. And I think that I've frankly been blessed with a brain that handles that differently and I'm really able to control it to to an aspect and really just 
challenge myself to tell you, tell myself I'm going to be okay. It's going to be fine. And let's move on and let's figure out a solution. And I think that it's also that like when something goes wrong, I'm not just like freaking out trying to figure it out. I'll be like, okay, here's what I need to do. Let's create a plan and let's go forth and do it. So I think that's attack attack. I love that, man. Um, so you kind of mentioned, or like this big picture mentality that you have, is there anything big picture that you want to accomplish in the next year? Wow. So like, so like there's a great example for like, for me, like big picture would be like 20 to 25 years. The next year is like already like kind of like, Oh, I, I mean like maybe that's, that's not like to me, like big picture is like, I could barely look ahead like five years. So yeah, like, I don't know what I'm eating tonight. Yeah. No, that, but like <laughs> that I'm, I'm in the same place. Like I like, but like to me, like right now I'm really like really focused on the idea of educating people on Gen Z. Like it, it's a, cause I truly believe it needs to happen cause it's going to avoid problems. And I think yeah. that your laser focus, we're misrepresented as a generation already. Millennials were the most stereotyped generation in history. People were calling them lazy, dumb, entitled, all these different things. And I think it's unfair to them and I don't want that to happen again. And a lot of people seem to, like hearing about the conversation so it's that and then i think big picture like maybe even like a year or so i I would just like to have some sort of new content something outside of speaking because i'm so dialed in at speaking and i would love to have some sort of whether it be a podcast a tv show um hosting some sort of event or something just something outside Mm. of my comfort zone like um speaking was definitely outside my comfort zone it's become so comfortable i love doing it i need to find what it is that's going to make me nervous again like what 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 challenge yourself what am i anxious to go do that's that's Mm. that's how i look at it dude you know what's kind of cool actually um i don't know if you knew this but i'm an ideas guy okay so you're looking at two guys you got an idea for me yeah so we've spent two and a half years in the podcast game and we're pretty comfortable in this situation but we're looking to get into public speaking we're thinking of a, a rough idea right now is we're thinking about going on like uh, state state tours and like places where we have family, and going and speaking to high school students about doing what you love. For sure. And how, like you said, I'll tell you t- this: if you want to start speaking, schools are the most open-minded groups of people, especially okay. if you're on the topic of like self-help, self-motivation, find yeah. your passion. Like, even you could you could never have any content. You just want to go talk to them; they'll probably let you in. And something like this, where you're like talking to entrepreneurs people that have influenced other people they'll be open to that and i just i always say you gotta start people are always waiting like i gotta wait to be booked i want to be the biggest thing i hear is like how do i start getting paid for speaking like you're not going to get paid for anything before you start doing it you got to start somewhere and start doing that get in front of people that want to hear you talk and then the biggest thing about speaking the way you get more speeches is create content create a highlight create a highlight reel post about it on linkedin share what you're going to be doing tell them so excited for my next five events catch me here 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 and here and then more more people hear about you going on yeah. tour. So that's like something that's in the docket for I love that. something that Andrew and I are I seriously considering. Yeah. But for yourself, okay. you've already public speak. That's your dojo, man. Let's get you into a new one with podcasting. I know. I got to do it. And it's like, I love doing it. I love having conversations. Like, I love talking to people. I like, I I absolutely love it. And now I just got to find like you guys have like what, what, what what's your niche? Be, what would be my purpose? Because I, yeah, I, I, that, I, and I like that you went that route, too, because. Um, Cause I'm speak- not the type of person that's willing to just start putting out content to yeah. put it out. Like there's there a go. lot of people, entrepreneurs that just throw content out there cause they feel like they have to. And as I shared, I, it, it's almost a downfall to an extent. I got to be posting more, but like, I won't just post something to post it. I got to figure out why I'm doing it. How does it not only better me? Like I'm not posting this to make myself feel better. What, what value add does this have for the thousands of people that are going to see it? Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. The value added approach will pay dividends no matter what. I love what you're saying there. And then vibing right off that, we're challenging our, ourselves every day to just be better, to, to put out authentic content that we care about. 
we want to continue down that train, but inside kind of your brain, inside kind of things and people that you want us to challenge, you want to challenge the back pocket with. So this is, Gosh, uh, I so think. we're curious, so who, who would you challenge us with? Is it local? Um, you could, we could go local and that would be awesome because then they could come into the studio. But if you want to attack it in a way that's like, guys, if you get this person, I'll be so proud of you type of way, go after that. Or if it's your best friend that you're like, he's got an awesome story, go that route as well. I got to think, cause like I got to figure out who I think locally has a, a unique, are you looking to talk about, do you have any specific top, maybe if you, like, do you have any specific topics that you've been itching to talk about? Like, mm. cause maybe it's easy. Cause I just like, like we're not, we're, that's the thing. We're not really a topics podcast. We're I know. Just, true. We're true. just like, like talk people. to people. And then like, if they have a cool topic that they're super passionate about, like yourself, then we end up talking it's about easy. that. Then we just were like, Oh, you, you do Gen Z. We kind of know about that. Let's have a conversation. I so, got Here's how. Here's how I always kind of frame it. Is I'm like, gonna look at my. I, I literally am gonna scroll through my contacts all right, right now. All right, got, cool. Talk. Feel free to talk. All right, again. let's. I it. What do you think about this guy? <laughs> yo, <laughs> yo, this guy is killing it, man. Yo, I kind of like his shirt. Came in hot. Got a lot of energy. Okay, too. this is actually. I kind of just thought of one before I even looked. This one. This one might be unique, and I. It, it, it's like a. I can't. I don't know why I thought about because it, it was the politics question that you made me think about. So I actually took like a an online politics class with a professor from here in Minnesota. It was like a one-on-one. We talk weekly. It's, his name's David Schultz. He's a professor at Hamlin, I believe here in Minnesota. He's a baby boomer. I believe he's an older guy, but he is so smart and he knows he specifically studies generations in politics and he has a ton of energy. And I think that if you were wanting to have a deeper dive into the political landscape and more specifically candidates that he forecasts, like he, he's somebody that's on, you know, Bloomberg, he's on all these different political things that he, he's oftentimes published He's really a smart guy, and I don't know why I just thought of that. It was your question okay. stuck with me. He's David Schultz. I didn't mean to put him on blast like that. He he's a te- he would love doing this. He's a he's a no. You hyped him up. You didn't he's put him re- on no. He's really he's really a smart guy, and I I talk to him every day, like twice a week for a handful of months preparing for the midterms because I was being asked a lot about it. And he knows so much about that conversation. So if you're looking to have a specific conversation and not just you know. A, a three paragraph very political answer from myself. I think that he'd be somebody that you'd really enjoy okay. having. Okay, right awesome. on. I got one more. So you've, I mean, you blast like in your book, you mentioned you know blasting off a ton of emails uh, to all these different CEOs and from people around yeah, the yeah. world asking about Gen Z. Who was the most down to earth person, or how who was the who gave the most down to earth? Seth Rogen, hundred percent. So I met him in person actually, and like out of all a lot of people, like justifiably and in like totally one hundred percent justify like the getting a question from Oprah Winfrey was a long process like rightfully so it's Oprah like she's not just gonna respond to an email with a question saying yeah use this in a book you had to go through eight different people and went through approval rounds and went through this you're kidding no it was like a big deal it had to go through like her publishing company yeah. is it allowed to be published in a HarperCollins book is it it was, oh, it was a lot of like legal process. issues uh, I was thinking like semicolon or colon but like then like for example her que- yeah, no, I don't like, know it was like her question was about like Gen Z and spiritual mainstay and it was a long question and then actually, have you guys ever heard of Wee Day? You know what Wee Day is? It's like an uh, event locally. It's around the U.S. and Canada. It's like a, okay. a huge... I'm a Wee Fest guy, but... So, yeah, okay, also And I like, also playing, fun. I like playing Wii Sports. Yeah, so Wee Day is like an event that rewards kids for social change. So it's like a, it's like oh. a one day, you can't buy a ticket, you have to earn it. And they have like people like from like Seth Rogen to Justin Bieber to uh, to Ariana Grande. All these different people come perform a full day concert, speakers. Oh, wow. And they reward these kids for doing good in the world. And I went to Wee Day LA. I've done a lot with the Wee Brands. I've been an advocate for them and been involved as a you're, family. You're a wee guy. Years. You can say yeah, that. Yeah, so like we've we've done that for a while and I went to Wee Day LA and I was, my whole, only goal was, it was right when I was writing the book to get all these different people. So I got like the, the former CEO of Microsoft then I got, I walked up to Ariana Grande, asked her she'd submit a question. She went Oof, right by me so I didn't get that question but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll let that one go. But I, I walked up to Seth Rogen and I was like, hey man, I'm writing a book. Do you want to, I'm asking notable people, CEO celebrities to submit a question 
I was like, do you want to submit one? And I was sitting with him in his green room and his, his like Wrangler producer agent, whatever it was, he's like, Hey, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you. And he's like, no, no, let me just think about this. So he sits down, he like, he has like a pen and paper to say, he sits there for like 10 minutes and I'm just sitting there, we were chatting and he's like, all right, I got it. And his question was as simple as what makes Gen Z happy. And I just love that because he was such a cool guy. His laugh really is like that in person. He's a, he's a dope dude. And he was like, his question was so simple and he took the time to really think about it and didn't just like do it to get out of, get me out of his hair. And I talked to him for like the next half an hour. Super, super, super cool guy. And like talk about like the exact opposite process. He's like, yeah, man, just, just send me a copy of the book when it's out. I'm like, awesome. That's killer. Dapped him up and walked out. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Dude. So oh. that was like, that was for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of really experience. cool people in there. That was one of the only people I think, I think four or five of them I got in person. Most of them were through email, LinkedIn, phone calls, connections, but he was, he was really a good guy. And I stand by that. And I tell that to everybody. He does like hilarity for charity. I think it is. Yeah, like, he, that Netflix is, special. Yeah. So that is a great event. And it's like, I just, I really like his brand. I think his content's good. I think he's hilarious. And I think that. All right. So what, what makes Gen Z happy, dude? Number one answer was being with other people. I think it's actually a really good answer because I think people assume that young people are only interested in talking to you through devices. We only are always on our phones when in reality we're people too. We can put our phones down. We can look you in the eye, have a conversation. And leaders in the workplace really need to understand that because they'll send a, they'll send an email before they walk over to our desk. And I think that in, in an era that's so technologically dominated, a relationship building and networking is one of the most important things you could be doing. So, you know walk over to your new employee's desk, have a conversation with them instead of saying that email, whether you're a Gen Z or a baby boomer, both sides of the story, I encourage you to talk to people. And then, you know, I think that a lot of times people will judge a generation when they show up and start bringing new ideas and beliefs. They'll say that we should do it this way. And then the answer is no, we don't do it like that. Or then millennials are better. You guys are worse. Who's right? Who's wrong? When in reality, I think that we each want the same goal. And in the next 30 years, we want to be able to live healthy, happy lives and provides for our families. That's pretty much, in essence, a lot of people's main goals. It's what we're built to do. And it's it, it's, it's humanity. And I think what the difference is, is each generation, because of the way we were raised, because of the lens we look at the world, we just go about it in a different way and nobody's mm. better, worse, right, or wrong. When people understand that and you start to bridge all these generations together, that's when you have a successful multi-generational workforce, you have a successful company, a successful podcast, whatever it may be. Just understanding that we're all people, we just look through different glasses. Damn, that's a great question. Love that. Dude. I love that. That was a great question. question. Good stuff. All right, so speaking of questions, we've been hammering you with like, uh, uh, to be quite honest, great questions all day. Like we've been Some crushing just, this. Yeah. You guys are dialed in, dialed in today. Yeah, yeah, no, we're dialed in. We you're dialed in. Elevate. And like you brought the energy, we brought the energy, which made this like an unbelievable <laughs> podcast. But anyways, we've been asking you phenomenal questions all day. Do you have any questions for us? What do you guys do for fun? <laughs> oh, dude. Record this fucking podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is our, this is our dojo. Do you guys all live here? Oh uh, yeah. Well, Greg he doesn't. Does not, Greg, if and if Greg wanted to live here, I wouldn't even let him, dude. Yeah, he's yeah. keto, dude. <laughs> he's not keto. Yeah, we don't allow keto in this house. You know what's interesting? My my dad was just at Aspen Ideas Festival, which is like like the, it's like a conferences of all conferences. They have anyone from like Greg, Mark point Zuck- the camera. At him. Mark, they only they only they have everyone from like Mark Zuckerberg to like they had some like person that was knighted in europe for his fit for his health related knowledge and his diet and the guy my dad said absolutely bashed paleo absolutely bashed keto and talked about that the, the number one way to burn fat is consistency in a diet in any realm and the number one way to do it is sleep i'm not i don't do keto oh. <laughs> he did keto for a long time though Greg, I have no, I respect it. I've done, I've done, I've done a lot of different things. Like I went on a rock climbing trip and on March first, and I wanted to like be really lean, so I like literally yeah. counted macros to like down to like the grain of rice, and I lost like seventeen pounds in like thirty five days, and it was like it works. I mean, like you eat healthy, you get results. 
Yeah. I don't shit on keto, but like, yeah, we kind of. Apparently, do. it's not that good for you. Yeah, we don't need any keto. Uh, Big pizza guys or something? Uh, pizza, sure. Dom, Jack's pizzas. Jack's pizzas. Oh, Jack's we'll mess them up. They're a sponsor okay. of this okay. podcast. Uh, <laughs> a lot of these Lacroix. Big sponsor of this podcast. They're under. They're in some hot water. And, Have you seen and this? look at us go. Yeah. We're <laughs> just ripping Lacroix. You're for saying an there's hour. chemicals in the cans. I'm I thirsty. It was just like, yeah. But uh, we uh we just had this event, or it's actually happening Saturday. But you're Boatella. Boatella. I saw that. I saw that. On your, what's what's Boatella? Oh yeah, this is a, this is a big <laughs> event. It's a uh, it's a three hour. Actually, no. You know what? Boat. I did not see on my Instagram. I got a targeted Facebook ad. For yeah, it. let's go, baby. <laughs> I, I I was going through Facebook, and I'm not gonna watch this video. It's like. It says something like the surprise band won't disappoint, whatever. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, it's. I, I like. I saw it was back pocket podcast, and then I was like, that can't be. Like I thought maybe it sounded like what you guys are doing, and I was like, no, maybe it is. And then I went to Instagram, I was like, oh, it is them. I was it's like, awesome. I literally saw that like last night laying in bed. I got a Facebook ad for it. Bam! So tell I, me about I it. Did my job. Um, Boatella. It's a three hour riverboat live music uh, excursion. These guys are performing. Party. It's just a. It's a giant party for all of our listeners. And uh, Yam House is the secret band. But we're not allowed to promote them because they're playing at Basilica Block Party. and live Opening for Casey Musgraves, which is huge oh, for them. Yeah, and Live Nation won't allow them to promote an event happening more so than... So what's, what's your goal? How many people are you trying to get on this boat? 250. How many are you at? We're at like 115. When is this? Sa- uh, Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, so it's tomorrow. Like, we're not going to sell. I, wait, no. Hey, wait, so long. Tomorrow. No, today's Thursday. 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 Saturday. Good for you guys, Bocella. Bocella. Yeah. name. I yeah. liked it. I it's liked really it. fun. It's Coachella themed, and we're doing yeah, all I saw the, Fire I saw Festival this, marketing. I saw this. I saw the your like starter, starter pack. pack. The starter pack was yeah. good. The, starter the speed pack shades. Was... Speed shades. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, just... dude, you have to. I got yeah. racing stripes, bro. Nobody's faster than me. Oh my so god. Nobody's dude. faster than me. <laughs> oh my god, you have racing stripes. Yeah. I need I've, to get some. I've been having them. I've ha- I've had the stripes for. A while. Yeah. Mm. I also had blonde hair. I bleached my hair. I lost my fantasy football league. I had blonde hair. Yo, you need to give a TED Talk with that shit on, dude. I have done a TED Talk. I didn't have stripes, though. That's what I'm saying, though. If you want to elevate your game, dude. Speed. Speed. Speed kills. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if you you learned that, one thing from us. Speed not, kills. If you're not first, you're last. Yeah. Also, um, <laughs> because I, I actually firmly believe that you will be on Joe Rogan someday. When you do get on, it, it will most likely be before us. Or what if I interview him on my podcast? That, I'm that too. <laughs> and if you do start a podcast, which you should, we can we be on? For sure. For okay, sure. Okay. I'm going to so do it. I, it's so a goal that. of mine. Okay. And I think I got to do I want to do something with my dad. I think we could do some sort of cool father-son dynamic. I own, I, I own a couple cool URLs that I bought under the premise. I own genzpodcast.com. So like, oh. I own that. I own great a good you, one. I, I, own, I own Java with Jonah. That's a pretty catchy one. Somebody told me to get that. It's like- uh, Morning show, a little coffee. Little mm-hmm. Java with Jonah. That's a brilliant idea. Is buying URLs. Someone bought or someone oh, has want- backpocket.com, and I'm, I, we want that. So we're the backpocket podcast. Yeah, three. Well, it's being. We looked at it two and a half for- years ago, and it was like thirty thousand dollars to buy it. We used to do segments where we'd call the guys. And they were, they, oh, we were like, hilarious. "Hey, can we have this for free?" And they, they did not <laughs> like. Them. I own like realistically like. Between seventy and ninety Gen Z related URLs, like Gen Z anything. Gen You're Z, just gonna take over the whole world. Gen Z influencer, Gen Z, Gen Z TV, Gen Z, and I, I've I've sold a few of our URLs. You can sell. I tried to buy Gen Z.com. You know how much? Take a guess how much they wanted. This was like a while ago too. And I, I quarter million. Like I when I first called them probably four years ago when it first started it was like 150. I called them like and they were super cool. They offered to let me use it, but I was like I can't just start building a business around it and then not have it. And then they it's like I think they sold it for like. Near there, maybe a little more. Oh. Damn! Wow, we need to start buying stuff. Yeah, we just start buying and flipping. Yeah, yeah we need to start flipping. Just, yeah, it's all flip. Dude, URLs. The flip. new thing is Instagram domains. I tried to buy at Jonah for Instagram. The guy wanted like thirteen k. I mean, like, 
Damn. Yeah, I know the guy that had the guy that had at hoops on Instagram or something something like that, and he sold it for a lot of money. Like hoops, something like that. Like the something hoops like space. hoops, something like that. Yeah. So, so like when you buy the domain, you get the followers from that. No, no, too. it's more like so like no, wow. I would I would just buy at Jonah because like it's yeah. easy. Oh no, I get the the reason behind like just the simple domain. That's name, why. But, oh, but like the at hoops one, I think he I think you're right. I think he bought the entire do- page. Because yeah. then, like, you can run, like, it had, like, a bunch of followers. So, like, it was, like... A- right. That exists, too, though. Is like, you can build a page out, and then if it's, like, um, ha- having to do with, like, a city... But or- there's almost, like, it's almost, like, because if you don't have enough followers, like, a lot of people are like, I wish I had, like, a one letter, like, at, at M. I'm like, that's the worst thing ever, because you type in at M, every relevant person with the starts with M is going to come The SEO well, is just like, not going to happen. It's not there. Mm-hmm. God, we're unpacking some good stuff on this We're podcast. unpacking it. But- so, what do we do for ha- happiness? I mean, seriously, this podcast, but anything else that we do that's fun? Andrew rides limes a ton. You just yeah. come back all sweaty at, at night, and he'll be like, dude, I just ripped a lime. Oh, 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 I thought of somebody else. Oh, gosh. I just thought of somebody else after you said happen. lime scooters. <laughs> you got to get, I got to find his, it's called Ivy Ivy Longboards. This guy's name is Steve. I can figure out, or if you want to just look it up, it's it's Ivy Longboards' his company. He does. He hand makes longboards and skateboards here in Minnesota. Oh. I'm a big skateboarder, snowboarder. He gifted me one of these forever ago when I met him at, I believe it was a children's hospital initiative. And he does these other things called Ivy Adventures, where he get, gathers like random people and they go on these crazy trips. This guy is super cool. I just texted him the other day because I want to get one for my cousin, and he, he his response was like, "Hey man, I was like, he's like, give me about a few weeks because he hand makes these skateboards. He's like, I need a few weeks. He's like, I just gave my skateboard to my Uber driver. He said he loved it and I just thought I would love to give him one so this guy is like super cool he's like the, one of the biggest hustlers I know so All right. after I, I'll, I'll find his last name after we jump off but yeah, Ivy Longwood's guy super super cool the Lime Scooter made me think of it big that's fan it. that's sick so, alright so what do you actually do for fun Andrew uh, we do, go on this podcast yeah, I gotta drop this uh, we do uh, hit workouts and we're the <laughs> high five guys in the class oh yeah so it's, okay. a, it's a class of 30 people and it's just uh, and 30 opportunities to give high fives and, and you're just doing high reach intensity reach out spread some love yeah spread some love high intensity interval training just freaking kettlebells and uh, pull cables yeah. just challenging yourself crazy things that alter fitness and uh, Deck and I just walk around the place and just give people high fives and then sweat a ton that's what we do so do you home. actually do the workout or you just high five oh no we do it right. we, we, we go way too hard it's a good question though yeah, yeah. I mean I couldn't tell yeah. I mean like you look good so well, I I, you do something we row for meters yeah, we so we try and light up. We try and like provide energy to. We family. row for meters. <laughs> Andrew rows for meters. I row for watts. Together, we're we're. Uh, what about providing... calories? Calories on the rower. They'll, those will come. Yeah, look, those bag the come. calories, dude. You make up the calories when you're eating keto or some shit. So that's kind of how we're at. That's where we're <laughs> at right now. Calories. I, I, I'm bagging calories to be honest. Put them All in a bag. Together. Ship them out of here. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Bag and tag. Amazon that shit, dude. Yeah. Um. Okay. Final question. You've been a blast. Thank you for having me. It's been yeah, a good time. You, you've been great. Um, we're going to finish with one final question. What did you learn today from the time you woke up to the time we're recording this? What did I learn from the time I woke up? It's um, a great question. I think I've been learning a lot more in general that that each day, to in essence, is really out of your control. And as soon as you start to learn that, that you just got to kind of figure out how you operate on a day-to-day basis because in the grand scheme of things – you're only here for a certain amount of time and you can't control many aspects of it. And I think people try to control too much of that. I've started to like understand what I really have control over what I don't. And especially today, like when I mentioned it before, I realized now that I didn't talk about it on the podcast, like I'm building this website and it's just not been going that great. And it's half of it's out of my control and I just got to understand that it's going to be fine. I'll figure it out. So like just really understanding that not everything is under your control. Cause I like to think that it is, but it's not control. <laughs> and controls. then it's also, and also work related things can be a good time. I had a blast tonight. This was fun. And I don't, 
I don't all, not everything like I said is always fun, but I love conversations like this where it's not all work related. We get to have a little bit of fun. Exactly. Talk about some keto diet. Talk about lime scooters. Yeah. And, sometimes we get nothing accomplished. Sometimes we get something accomplished. I love yeah, it. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're just knuckleheads. <laughs> but uh, Jonah, thank you so much. We're really my pleasure. A lot it. of fun. A lot of fun. That's a wrap. <laughs> She says